Hello and welcome to Reactive's Yellow Room. I am Evi Chiori and this week all the lights are shining over Brussels, where a double summit is taking place. World leaders are hoping to set a key milestone in renewing the transatlantic partnership and maintaining the economic ties between the US and the EU. We're also going very briefly to Sofia to shed some light on the controversy that still follows the former government of Boyko Borisov and the shady findings on the organ transplant scandal. So we're just before a crucial week for us here in Brussels, where uh, we will have two summits uh, happening this coming week. And to break down the components on what can we expect and why these summits are so important, I am joined today by Euractiv's Alexandra Brzozowski, who will be the one following the meetings for Euractiv.com. So Alex, what is the atmosphere on our side of the Atlantic? So yes, Europe and Brussels are indeed looking towards a very busy summitry week. Uh, G7 leaders are currently meeting in the UK, but um, obviously the big anticipated bit are the NATO and EU-US summits next week. So there's quite a lot of agreement that the four years of, of the Trump presidency have done serious damage to the mutual transatlantic trust, which is only now slowly mended by meetings exactly like these. Mm -hmm. And it's true that we've seen many across Europe uh, having a sigh of relief after Joe Biden was elected. But our expectations may be too high to be met. So what the Trump term effectively did, and I think some would crucify me already for bringing that catchphrase up so early on, it led to the realization that Europe has to become more self-reliant, strategically autonomous as in whatever that conceptually might mean, not least in terms of security and defense. But over the past few months, we've seen the U-turn and heard the phrase America's back around everywhere. So I think the expectations are very high, but essentially um, split in two different nuances. So on the one side, we have those saying that President Biden will have to deal with um, Trump's uh, legacy and try to fix what has been broken. In translation, that means lots of assurances will be heard in the next week, be it to the EU side or to NATO allies. With the latter, especially... Um, I think it will be mostly about American commitment to NATO's mutual defense clause, Article 5, which has been repeatedly questioned under Trump, but um, now we'll see probably a bit more reassurance. On the other side, we have those saying that Brussels should not place too much hope in Biden as the focus will not stay on Europe for too long and also gradually might shift um, and focus more on the new real adversary, China, once Europeans are reassured of their US commitment. So what are Biden's objectives in Europe? Maybe you can tell our listeners what to pay attention to during their respective summits. Sure. So Russia will be one of the main topics of discussion, at least at the G7 summit and also in the following days when Biden talks with European leaders and NATO allies, before then heading to Geneva for his meeting with Russia's President Putin. So that will be one of the red threads running through all the meetings. Biden has plenty to discuss with Europeans on the subject of Moscow, for sure, before heading to Geneva, because especially after the Ryanair hijacking and Belarus case, the Biden administration has signaled a desire to build a stable, predictable relationship with Russia. But also when we think about just recently, the White House waived the sanctions on Nord Stream 2, which has been also suspiciously eyed by Eastern Europeans. But clearly, uh, the Belarus case has brought the more negative feeling back to the surface. So US officials before the summits have stressed that it's no coincidence that the summit 
with Putin follows right after the consultations with European allies. European allies will also expect Biden to use this personal meeting with Putin to try and ratchet up some pressure on Lukashenko. I mean, we all know that Moscow is critical to holding Lukashenko accountable, but again, Putin is unlikely to endorse any kind of effort to do so. Mm -hmm. And what can we expect there? The main chunk will be the NATO 2030 reforms and um, also the strategy update that is to be discussed. The proposal set out areas where NATO could modernize over the medium term, uh, be it climate change uh, to more sustainable funding of military operations. So some particularly really stand out. One of them is, for example, the curbing of single country blockages. When we uh, think, for example, about Turkey two years ago, actually uh, around the NATO summit in 2019 in London, they have been blocking Eastern defense plans or efforts to make the veto with uh, which Turkey is blocking those cooperations between the NATO and the EU uh, to be more difficult. They also speak about closer coordination between NATO and the EU, so that will be, in the combination of the two summits, also quite interesting to watch uh, in what direction um, the defense uh, policy ideas are going. In general, there's the idea of updating NATO's official master strategy document, it's called Strategic Concept, which is meant to consider also the growing Chinese military capabilities and Russian strategic competition, and in general to also bring a more political role uh, for the alliance. So NATO leaders will have the full scale of ideas to discuss and also effectively somehow to green light in whatever form uh, we will see. Is this likely to go down without glitches? In the discussions ahead of the summit, um, a number of allies have made it clear that they are not prepared to support such far-reaching proposals. France, for example, and has been particularly unhappy that the report that has been presented and um, commissioned by NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg um, has been put out there in the public before leaders actually discussed the ideas first. So Stoltenberg proposed in February, for example, that allies could put more money directly into existing small common budgets um, to fund collectively more of their deterrence um, operations um, rather than the current system in which members have to bear all the cost of a single deployment themselves. So France, which uh, for long has advocated strengthening EU defense rather than NATO itself, um, stands quite skeptical towards the plans as it's not necessarily um, to benefit French military priorities in first place. So it will be interesting to watch how far diluted those recommendations might become. Um, NATO diplomats said the summit with Biden may maybe only agree to carry out an analysis of common funding rather than already agree on a full-scale um, proposal. Mm -hmm. And there will also be a bilateral meeting between uh, President Biden and Turkish President Erdogan, who has been branded the black sheep of the alliance. What are the expectations there? There's indeed a lot of broken China to fix, I think, and NATO partners' trust in Erdogan has been critically damaged over the past. Uh, we have, on the one side, the problem with the Russian S-400 missile system, uh, which has been acquired by Ankara that is incompatible with NATO systems and dependent on the Russian Air Force for maintenance. So that has irked NATO allies vary of Moscow's disruptiveness. And then we have Ankara's disruptive behavior in the Eastern Mediterranean. So um, there is a lot of baggage, but the issue looms especially large, so to speak, as, as the latest example, Turkey's disruptive posture in the uh, the hijacking of the Ryanair flight uh, by Belarus has eroded also trust a bit f 
further, because when it came to agreeing on the NATO statements um, in reaction to, to the Air Piracy Act, uh, the text had to be substantially watered down at Ankara's insistence. So, on the other hand, Erdogan also knows that the West's dependence on him is huge, especially considering the escalation in relations with Russia might increase, maybe in the future. So losing Erdogan is not really an option. And in a few words, NATO cannot afford to break with him. In this sense, Biden will have the challenge of squaring the circle between, on the one side, pointing the finger and remind Erdogan to be constructive, and on the other side, emphasizing Turkey's um, critical importance to NATO. And for the EU-US summit, we have seen a few positive signals in the past uh, month on uh, tariffs and other issues. Can EU leaders expect to find transatlantic cohesion? There has been some good signals indeed. I mean, EU officials emphasize that they hope next week will bring um, progress in resolving the EU-US trade disputes, uh, be it on steel tariffs and or other, on the long-running clash over subsidies to airplane manufacturers. There's also the hope that there can be some kind of alliance with the EU to cooperate on the VTO reform, also to better address China's industrial subsidies. And obviously, the EU's climate priorities are also there. So I think all those issues will be on the table. It's a one-day summit, so there's not a lot of time to discuss them. Um, another one that probably stands out quite a lot is the EU-US data transfer saga, which will be addressed for sure. The EU has said um, that the ball is basically in, in Washington's court uh, to change its surveillance laws, something that Washington has so far uh, refused to do. And speaking of China uh, being the elephant in the room, has this so far been a missed opportunity? In some ways, there were some stakeholders who said that Europe has asserted its strategic autonomy from Washington, at least when it comes to relations with Beijing by exactly reaching this investment agreement in principle uh, with China last December. It has been heavily pushed for by Germany and its presidency, and uh, it's meant to be concluded under the French in 2022. Both countries would have heavily benefited economically from such a deal. But um, now more and more Brussels officials are actually questioning whether the EU has kept its credibility by pushing for the deal. Um, before Biden took office, the new administration had asked um, Europe for coordination on China, but the EU push might have made the complete reparation of EU-US relations a bit more, more difficult at that time. The Commission last month did suspend um, the ratification of the deal, but um, that happened only after we had the tit-for-tat sanctions um, and the issues with human and labor rights. So the likelihood that this will go ahead anytime soon, uh, I mean the agreement, is rather small, but um, this might have actually done more damage to find uh, a unified position um, on China. But yes, some EU leaders like Germany's uh, outgoing Chancellor Angela Merkel have been less keen at singling out China because of significant economic ties to Beijing and uh, they do not want to jeopardize um, this, this trade ties. So I think this will be really the elephant in the room during, during the discussions. Yeah. Can we expect a growing EU-US convergence on China? For a common EU-US policy towards Beijing, the Europeans must agree on how to deal with Beijing first. And this, this looks a bit more tricky and depends on 
what you're actually talking about. The EU as a whole, Berlin and Paris, Eastern Europeans, Hungary. Transatlantic cooperation on China will largely be shaped by the change in German leadership um, after the departure of Merkel from office. So, But what we do have in European capitals is the readiness to sit down at the table with Biden to discuss China. Beijing's image has really taken a serious hit in Europe, um, not only due to its aggressive coronavirus pandemic mask and vaccine diplomacy um, in Europe's backyard, the crackdown in Hong Kong and human rights issues. So all the mixture is actually highly influencing how China is perceived. So there is a recognition basically on both sides of the Atlantic that only through a common action, there's some kind of hope of influencing China. When we look at NATO, at least, I think there it will be pretty clear um, because next week's summit communique will have much, much more language on China than we had ever before. Stoltenberg has promised that the alliance will have some kind of consensus on how to manage China. But, well, here too, the question is, Hungary has been happy to to block EU consensus on speaking speaking out about China. So it might as well have some issues on this matter as a NATO member, but we will have to see, you know, that's... Well, thank you, Alex, for being with me today and shedding some light on this really important topic indeed. And you're listening to Euractiv's Yellow Room. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcasting app. And now moving on a different topic, and to sum up a little bit of the background story, after the national elections in Bulgaria, Borisov's party lost power and the president of the country had to appoint a temporary uh, government. And the country's health ministry revealed that under the former government of Boyko Borisov, the state hospital performed organ transplants from poor people to rich donors. To hear more on this story, I spoke with Krasen Nikolov, the editor-in-chief of Euractiv Bulgaria. So, Krasen, there is obviously a lot of controversy following the former government of Boyko Borisov, and new and shocking details, I would say, are coming to light. So, what is the story there, and how did these new findings uh, come to, to the spotlight? When this scandal broke out after the inspections, shows that the Bulgarian state hospital uh, is most likely used as a base for transplants of the international donors mafia. The other scandal was that the chief secretary of the Borisov government managed to illegally overtake many other Bulgarians for a liver transplant. And were the authorities aware of what what you're actually describing to me right now? Uh, As you know, Bulgaria and Romania have earned the fame of the most corrupt EU members. So Bulgarian healthcare system is not an exception when we take the picture as as a whole. So uh, people with money and contacts usually get quality access to healthcare more easily and quickly, even in the public hospitals here. So why it will be something different uh, when we're talking about the donor transplants. And do we have some sort of reaction or action over the findings? They're trying to change the, uh, the way the, uh, this government hospital is uh, 
govern, uh, try try to, to change the, uh, the directors there. And just to remain in the same kind of shady atmosphere, I would say, another story that holds the attention in Bulgaria is the fact that the US intervened to clean up the Bulgarian mafia. So what is happening with that? Uh, one of the Magnitsky sanctioned guy uh, was uh, is Vasil Boshkov. This is one of the most influential uh, shadow figures in Bulgaria from the very beginning of the so-called transition period. So he did very well in the shadows uh, until the early last year uh, when uh, there were a significant shifts in the underworld here in Bulgaria. Borisov's government and the prosecution uh, opposed Boshkov and the state took Uh, his gambling business in violation of the constitution, of the Bulgarian constitution. And uh, he was forced to flee to Dubai to avoid being arrested here in Bulgaria. Then Boshkov announced that uh, he had paid more than 30 million euros in bribes to Boyko Borisov uh, uh, in order not to, uh, uh, to, to stop his gambling business. The other big figure uh, who was sanctioned by the U.S. Uh, is Delampevsky. He's former uh, uh, MRF, uh, a member of the Bulgarian parliament. Uh, so I, I must tell you for the background that MRF is the Turkish minority party here. And it's part of the Renew Europe in the uh, uh, group in the European parliament. So Delampevsky is an oligarch that he has a large-scale shady business and uh, his influence was gained during the Borisov rule. I will only mention that his media group, uh, which is now, he, he uh, sold it uh, last year, uh, is the reason why the Lempevsky media group is the reason why Bulgaria is on the uh, 112th place in the ranking of, uh, for media freedom of reporters without borders. And of course, my next uh, obvious question is, why is the U.S. intervening in national topics? And how come the government didn't do anything to solve the issue? A Biden administration uh, makes, uh, makes it clear that the Balkans and the fight against corruption will be a top priority for the U.S. Uh, over the next uh, few years. So the Balkans are important, they, and uh, our readers know it very well, that because here's the crossing point of the interests of several major world powers, uh, Russia, China, Turkey, the US, and the EU. Biden took the initiative in Bulgaria because uh, Bulgaria is a member of NATO, not only uh, in EU. And he told us that corruption weakened, weakened the, the state institution. And it's true. Uh, so uh, he took the initiative uh, because the local institutions are so paralyzed by corruption that there is nothing uh, they can do about it. We need some external shock to restart the system. Thank you, Krasen, for being with me today. Our time is up for this week. I am Evi Kiori and this was Euractiv's Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit Euractiv.com for the latest news and don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon. Mm-hmm.